Talk of Muncie WMUN, All Kinds of People, hosted by Dr. Joe Mashevitz. Getting to know the people of Muncie and Delaware County, Indiana, in a way you've never heard before. It's another way we're using our voice to build our community from Woof Boom Radio and 92.5 FM, 1340 AM, WMUN. Here's your host, Dr. Joe. Hey, 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 everybody. Top of the morning, top of the week. Thanks for tuning in to all kinds of people on WMUN, the Talk of Muncie. And I am delighted to have a dear friend of mine in today. We go back 40-some years together when I really started looking at the calendar, which kind of freaked me out a little bit. But Dr. Maria Williams-Hawkins. Professor at Ball State University joins me in the studio. And doctor, thanks for drifting down to Wolf Boom Studios <laughs> and joining me on all kinds of people. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm happy you are here. Thank you. And um, we'll jump into a little bit about how we bumped into each other back in the 1980s. And then a phone call I made to you in 1993 saying, hey, we got an opening, but Let's go back, if you don't mind, and share with people days at Memphis, Tennessee, uh, your maternal grandparents. What was life like early on? What was life like for you in even elementary school, but then into high school when you're getting all your A's in school and being a perfect student? And <laughs> Share a couple of memories um, from back in the day. Well, Memphis is home. I never forget that that is home. That's where my heart is. That's where I go two to four times a year to be with what remains of my maternal side of the family. Uh, my paternal side of the family is everywhere there. Uh, we are scattered across the we're country. We're split lay and ministers. My mother's side lay, my father's side ministers. Yeah. And, what did I do? Kind of split the middle and became a deacon. Um, my life in, in Memphis was pretty plain for an African-American family. Um, it, everybody is middle class. <laughs> my grandfather worked for Procter & Gamble, uh, and we just lived in a community that back then, um, because of segregation, we had basically a millionaire family on one end and we had projects on the other. Uh, so I was kind of somewhere in the middle. Uh, my life included going to school and going to church because yeah. everything else cost a lot of money that <laughs> we didn't have. So uh, I got to go to the fairground summer festival once a year until I got uh, to be a teenager. Uh, and we got to go to the zoo regularly. Yeah, so it, just kind of plain. You did. You did nail down a couple of firsts, though, that you shared with me. Mm -hmm. You started a high school newspaper, and really were the first female to cover sports for the Mensa, Memphis um, commercial mm -hmm. paper. What was that like? Because I really appreciate you talking about the segregation back in those days, but you made some strides early on by doing that at the newspaper. You, you recall memories of knowing that you accomplished that? 
Well, see, you use the word accomplish, and I kind of think of if you're too stupid to know you can't do something, you just go ahead and do it. Um, in elementary school, they insisted that I write the newspaper article for our school. Our principal wanted us to have something that other schools didn't have. Some teacher decided I was writing the article, so I guess that kind of put it in my head that maybe I could write. When I got to junior high, I thought the school would have a newspaper. It didn't. And so, by hand, we started a handwritten newspaper, I think about the eighth grade. Uh, And when I got to high school, it just occurred to me, I can't graduate from a high school that doesn't have a newspaper. I still remember organizing the students in my group to write different articles, going to one of the teachers who was kind enough to indulge me in what it was that I wanted to do. And because she was the business teacher, she would retype the things that we had written incorrectly. I remember walking because I seemed to always need to go to the Gestetner store to have the paper printed. We didn't even have the money for the school to print the paper. So I would walk, uh, I guess, about two miles to the Gestetner store on Saturdays and uh, have the paper copied. What's that mimeograph? Before we got to Gestetner, we were mimeograph. We were the black ink, and then we were the the blue ink, then we went to the black ink, and then we went to Gestetner, and we had pictures. Oh, my goodness, (laughs) Lion's Lair. That was the name of our newspaper. And so it was just important. In uh, my senior year, due to integration, we got a chance to go to the big newspaper journalism festival that the city had, and I showed them copies of the mimeograph paper and how proud we were when we finally got a paper on newsprint. A newsprint. Yeah, with real pictures. And (laughs) the white kids would say, wow, this is a change. (laughs) But for us, it was just we finally got something, and I got what I said. I would not graduate from a school without its own paper. So I was happy that I accomplished that goal. With regard to the sports reporting for the commercial appeal, it's hard to believe that there is a woman who knew less about sports than I did. (laughs) However, the principal knew that Uh, she's the one that will go. She's the one who will do it. So um, I was already doing radio for the black-owned radio station, probably one of the earliest ones in the country, at least the last article I read, it said it was. Um, I was doing Saturday reports for the school there. I had started the newspaper, so if the commercial appeal needed a sports writer, of course it would be me. Yeah. Yeah. Jump right in, thank you. Yeah, hey, what the heck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm familiar with newspapers back in the day, not easy to lay out. Um, automation was not part of that process. Um, I, I'm curious to know what, what triggered you to move on after your bachelor's degree and your master's degree to the big Ohio State. Thank you. We won't get into a discussion of my University of Michigan background. We definitely won't. Yeah, Thank you. No, but, we wouldn't do that. But um, seriously, 
after making those strides in high school, um, it had to be good, a feeling for you to enter into Ohio State to pursue that PhD? Again, one of those weird, stupid things. Uh, in college, my sophomore year, my father earned his doctorate. In elementary school, I had made a decision I would earn the highest degree that any of my parents or family members had accomplished. Okay, okay. So when he got his Ph.D. from University of Pittsburgh, it's like, well, there it is. For you it was, okay, so I can do that at too. At 19, that's, that's when I decided I would get a yeah. Ph.D. I went to Ohio State because of Alan Alberant. Uh, when we went to Sam Houston State to teach, he kind of understood the system better than I did, uh, I think my parents just figured I would do what I was supposed to do, and they <laughs> let me do it. And Alan knew that uh, due to the segregation he had experienced as Hispanic and white, that I was going to have some challenges, and he did all the legwork. Okay, I'm going to Ohio State. She's going to Ohio State. And Ohio State. Take a follow-up. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're talking with Dr. Maria Williams Hawkins, everybody, a professor at Ball State University. And um, when we come back after this break, um, we'll get a little bit more into the Ohio State situation and then what became of her career path after that. So do stay with us on all kinds of people on WMUN, the talk of Muncie. This is WMUN's All Kinds of People with Dr. Joe. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to All Kinds of People. And uh, I'm delighted to have Dr. Maria Williams Hawkins, a professor at Ball State University, in the studio, partially because we go back some 40 some years um, working with some national organizations together. And then a phone call in 1993 that I made got her away from Sam Houston State, and she came to Ball State. So, Doctor, um, I remember that phone call. Um, I wish I would have been right next to you when you took that phone call to <laughs> try to gauge your reaction. But what's it been like heading into year 30 at Ball State University? I mean, I, when I first put down 1993, I said, oh, 20 years. And then I, I paused and I said, wait a minute. This is 30-some years heading in. What's it been like? You've cut a roller quite a coaster path. ride, I guess. Um, yeah, ups and downs. But The one thing that I can say, actually, it was 1990 when you made that call because I spent <laughs> those three years at Ohio State. Thank you for the correction. Uh, sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it was actually in the 80s when you told me that I would come to work for you. And gosh, neither Ohio State nor Ball State were really on my mind other than in the 80s. My one academic goal was to beat Central Michigan. I was sick of them getting all of the awards and Sam Houston State not getting any. So I taught my students go after Central Michigan, go after Central Michigan. So we never did win. And then it was Ball State, and we didn't win. But that's okay. <laughs> My kids win now. So. <laughs> yes, yes. My time at uh, Ball State has afforded me an opportunity to continue some things that I did as a teenager. Uh, my goal when I was very young was to end up being the little old lady with the white hair and a bun that everybody would want to say, do you know her? She's so quiet, she doesn't say much, but you need to talk to her. That really was, I could see myself sitting quietly, maybe the Rosa Parks image. Uh, I haven't pushed for that white hair yet, but, you know, it's still in my future. Uh, no, uh, no, no, no. The, my efforts back as a teen to take children to parks and museums that I knew their parents would never take them to because they didn't have time or money, making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because we didn't have money to buy hot dogs and uh, candy apples at those uh amusement parks and the zoo, uh, and walking. Yeah, but walking what, them there. what was it about your educational background going through the various schools that got you to the point of knowing that you really wanted to be a person that focused on student success and retention? Because that clearly, the number of students that have sat in your office or you've chatted with in the hallway or as I've waited to get into a classroom and you're still there talking to these people, <laughs> um, the fact of the matter is they do migrate and you've had an impact. And I wonder what it is from your mom and dad back in those days uh, and your upbringing that has made you give up your time just for chats with people that impacts their lives. The expression that my parents used you better. Uh, uh, not that I am better. better than anybody else, but when uh, the teachers would call our parents, Maria needs to do this, John needs to do this, and then they, it's like, okay, so they tell us that you aren't doing everything that you can. Do you have enough to eat? Yeah. Do you have clothes to wear? Yeah. Do you have a place to live? Yeah. So as far as we're concerned, you better do this. <laughs> So that's still in my head, yeah, okay. you better. Yeah. So I want others to have that same attitude when uh, I know I'm the mean teacher, the crazy one, don't take her class. It's okay. Um, <laughs> when I see that students have the ability to do something, I apply the you better attitude for them as well. You can do this. Don't tell me you can't do it. Do it. So... I guess I'm, I didn't get that warm and fuzzy teacher rubbing your head and saying, come on. Get, no, that's, it's not who I am. It's just kind of a pat on the back saying, let's go do this. And yeah, it's it a slap on the back. Oh, you yeah, better. slap on the back. Yeah, I got it. Um, and also along the way, you took time to become an ordained deacon. Mm -hmm. um, 
what triggered that interest besides parental influence? And what have you done with all that? Uh, let's see. Ah. The, the denomination doesn't like my response to that question. Uh, lawsuits. Oh. Um, my sister-in-law, who is also a minister in a different faith, um, asked me if I was going to officially go into ministry. I said, no, I'm good being a church lady. So she said, okay, so what do you do? I said, well, I have a transitional ministry. I'm with the kids as they grow up. I work with the young adults. And then when they know that their time on earth is short, I'm the minister they call. I move in with some of the ones who are dying because they don't have family that can come and take care of them. I take food, I cook, I do whatever needs to be done. She said, oh, and uh, so those who are dying, do they tell you their personal business? I said, yeah, I usually know where some of the paperwork is when their children don't know. And she said, mm-hmm. And uh, so you know the way they want things done and where they may have placed money. I said, yeah. Uh, they'll usually talk to me. You're living with somebody for two or three days a week trying to make sure they have it. You, you know stuff. She said, uh-huh. And when their children come to sue you because you didn't tell them something that they needed to know, who's going to stand in court with you? I was like, huh? She said, Maria, as an ordained minister, you have the denomination to stand with you. You're going to play the church lady, you're on your own. It's like, really? <laughs> and so she just told me, so choose you this day. Are you going to officially participate as a minister, or are you going to keep doing your own thing? And my father had told me, if you're going to play a game, play by the rules. Ah, the rules, thank you. The rules. And so there was no other choice. I couldn't quit doing what I was doing. I mean, the people that I was trying to help were people who needed help and didn't have any. Some had money, but they didn't have family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned something. Your kids can be too rich to come help you. <laughs> One got sick yeah. during tax time, and her son was an accountant. So, no, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, I got you. Life is hard. <laughs> um what do you think some of the changes have been in the educational area in the last four years, five years? COVID, years? COVID. Um, technology. COVID. COVID. <laughs> technology has advanced, and our students know how to use it, even when they don't seem to know the impact it has. Uh, but I think what has distressed me the most is the emotional stress that our students are under now that I didn't see when I first started teaching. What kind um, of emotional stress are we talking about? Family structure is just kind of gone crazy. Um, when I, my first two years at Ball State, I would have girls tell me how they had to explain to their mothers post-divorce how to date. Ah. Today, they're kind of going out together. So <laughs> there is a big change. Um, I have more students now who make money in different ways so they can support their family than I had when I came in 1993. Um, I have children who, and I can't call them children, they're over 18, um, but 
emotionally they are still children, but they're taking on adult responsibilities. Mm. And so that's a big change. Adding stress to the classroom and everything else. Yes, you don't know which, and I teach media criticism, and so we're always discussing what stories do you see, and then some of those stories are actually what some of my students are experiencing in their personal lives, and you don't know it until that topic until that comes topic up. Comes up. It's like, oh, what's wrong with that? Okay, <laughs> so let's talk about that. <laughs> We've been talking with Dr. Maria Williams Hawkins, everybody professor at Ball State University and a longtime friend of mine and I just want to thank her for coming down and um, hoping that the semester goes well um, and that she continues to impact the number of students that she does on a regular basis. Thanks for tuning in. It's Dr. Joe saying have a good week and join us again next week for all kinds of people on WMUN, the talk of Muncie 92.5.